Hello, welcome to Failing Forward with Danny Jollis this time. Usually it's Steve Hofstetter, but I'm Danny Jollis, and I'm going to be your host today. This is episode 20 of the podcast, I've been told. And for episode 20, we're going to do something a little bit different. Usually uh, Steve has people on here, and they talk about their failures, and he mocks them, as I remember from episode one. I believe I was uh, ridiculed endlessly uh, for my failure, failures, and uh, and uh, but uh, and that's fun for him. But the uh, the tables have turned, and uh, for this episode, episode twenty, we are going to uh, to turn that mirror on, and we're going to have Steve tell a couple of his failures, so that you all know that while he has made fun of us, he himself sometimes a failure as well, and that a good thing. Steve Hofstetter, welcome to the podcast. I this is my idea and I already don't like it. Yeah, no, and it's fun. I think we're having a good time with it. We are. And Danny, you were my first guest, so very fitting that you get to do this to me. And an honor, I will say that. I, I actually genuinely it was was very honored. I had a really good time. I hope people, uh, you know, took my story and and really uh, assessed how good their life was. It is one of the best failure yeah. stories in entertainment. Oh sure. And oh, spe- it's... speaking of failure, you're also wearing your Capitals uh, Stanley Cup champions a hat, winner's hat to rub it in my face as a Rangers fan, which I really appreciate. Well, if we're going to do the theme, let's do the theme. All right. Um, (laughs) So failure, uh, yeah, I mean, and and I I guess most people listening to this podcast know what this is about. It's about failure. And and Steve has, like all of us, and and pulling away the jokes, failure is just a part of doing comedy. It is a necessary element. You've been doing this now. How many years have you been doing stand-up? 17. 17 years. Yeah. There's a lot of failure involved to getting to this white table i (laughs) i have a i have uh like a little id thing on my calendar like Mm -hmm. each each record has an id number and so it automatically counts my shows without me even trying to oh so all i need to do to see how many shows i've done is i just look at the calendar id and i'm somewhere near 4500 now you were that organized early on it's just a thing that happened accidentally it's a thing that like my it's a database feature yeah, where like I it's record one, record two, record yeah. three. I just didn't use my calendar for years. Oh no, I've I kept it from the very beginning. Yeah, I was irresponsible. Yeah, but for years there was not that many shows to keep track of. I was able to do it pretty easily. I started. I mean, I started by barking and by producing shows. Yeah. So I was doing. You and know, barking is for the people, and we will get to the stories we said we're going to. But yeah. barking is. So barking is. In New York, there are three ways to start as a stand-up comic. There's barking, bringing, and open mics. Mm-hmm. Open mics are where basically anyone can go up. You pay a couple of bucks or you promise to buy a drink or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You, get a, you get stage time in front of angry people who aren't listening. Yes. Um, bringing is where you bring anywhere from five to 50 people to come and see you mm-hmm. at a legitimate comedy club typically – um, on an illegitimate show where most of the show are people who are just starting out, like yourself, bringing, mm-hmm. not like you, I mean like yeah, yeah. like one would. Uh-huh. You're not just starting out, you're doing quite well. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish I had that sound effect as like a drop. Yeah, just yeah. That, <laughs> that is like basically the noise of Danny. Yeah, that is oh, the, you know, oh, Danny's like, here with yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Basically, people are – and there will be like two or three professionals that will go on the show to make it palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of those ways, you're basically buying your stage time. Barking is the one way where you're working for your stage time instead of buying it, where you stand outside, often in the middle of winter, 
and just hand out flyers to get people to come to a show. Mm-hmm. Most barkers just hand flyers to people and don't say anything. If you want to be any good at barking, you have to figure out how to make someone laugh in two seconds. Which is why barking kind of made me a comic. Were you a good barker? I was. That's I was terrible. able to get. Oh my you god. Were good? I I got. There was one night I remember when because when I went to producing and I would have barkers working under me. Mm-hmm. There was one night where people were like, "We just can't get anyone in," and I was like, "Give me these," and I just grabbed the flyers. And within 10 minutes, I had a group of 12 come in. Wow. And because it was like, you just freaking talk to people. Yeah, yeah, All you got to do is talk to people. They're, and it was in Times Square, which is much easier to get people than I started barking right off of campus. And I, so I went to Columbia, right. as you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, on 108th and Broad or 107th and Broadway was where I was barking at the West End. Ooh. Sorry, now it's called the West West End. or But it was called the Underground at the time. Yeah. And so was that the name of the club? The Underground, yeah, oh, Underground yeah. Lounge. Oh wow! So uh, now I think because it's, it's on West End or whatever, it's like Broadway, where Broadway becomes West End. The point is, it was nine degrees in December, and people I knew were walking by because I had just graduated. <sighs> there was once where the girl I had a crush on the year before walked by. And it was a very like, so uh, I heard you were doing comedy. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, We all pitch in. This is yeah, kind yeah. of a communal. He's doing really well. You know what a, oh, it's going good. You know what a kibbutz is? Ugh. It's kind of like a kibbutz, but Ugh. here. Yeah. So sad. It was, uh, that was awful. But yeah. that also rids you of any ego whatsoever. Yes. Very quickly. Which comedy will do. Yes. If you come in with the slightest bit of ego, you will leave. Yeah. Being like, oh, I'm a. But then it builds you back up. It it does at times. Now it creates, you know, your, my entire self-esteem is based around it. Yeah. Um, let's get to the first story. All right. Um, and, and I don't know, unlike usual where Steve really knows the stories, I don't know much about these stories. So these I'm all happen pre-Danny. This is pre-Danny, so I, I don't know them. But the first story is VH1. VH1. So you can still find this online, I believe. Really? Yes. Okay. So there was, in the time that VH1 was doing a 1,000 Talking Head shows, because they did the I Love the 80s, and that was super popular. So then they were like, I love the 90s. I love the 80s strikes back. I love 1984. I love the book 1984. Uh Like they just Uh did everything. And as a comic in New York, I was like, how do I get in on this? How do I get on TV for free? You know, and (laughs) so I did, I had submitted for a bunch of stuff. And finally, a casting director put me on a show that was supposed to be the top 40 soft rock songs of all time. They ended up, calling it top 40 soft-sational soft rock songs because why not soft-sational why not ruin it if you can you know if you get a chance to ruin it why not ruin it soft-sational so many people in a boardroom had to approve soft-sational i don't know whose idea that was but i hope they don't work in entertainment anymore i bet you they do i'm sure they do i bet they're the president of a oh, network I'm now i'm sure they're doing great it's like 10 years ago soft sensational is the kind of idea that gets you promoted and then but then everybody at the end is like why didn't it work out it's like we did everything we could yeah we and did nobody, everything we could except any time we'll look back and be like well we did call it soft sensational right or there's one guy who says that and they're just like jerry you're fired get out of the room jerry yeah why don't you knock it? yeah and then he's gone yeah um okay so it's a talking head show. They give us uh, 25 of the songs. And they basically say, we don't know which one you're going to be doing. Now, I remember huh? 
they they because at the time they didn't know like what material they already had in the can. Right. And so they were like, by your tape date, we might have some stuff already, but prepare all 25 prepare just in case. 25. Got it. Now, when I went in for the audition, there was another comic I knew that was a very like, I'm just going to wing it. Mm-hmm. And she bombed so hard. Of course. Because you can't just wing that. I'm an ad lib guy. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. You got to come in with three or four jokes for each thing. And then if you have a good idea, say it. But you have those jokes to fall back on. For sure. So I wrote at least 75 jokes, <laughs> probably closer to 100, mm-hmm. because it was minimum three for each one. And if you happen to think of a couple extra. Right. Now, the only tape date they could do was a date where I was performing in Baltimore. Now, they're taping in New York City. Three and a half hour drive. I go, I can make that. So from the night before, I drive first thing in the morning, go to New York. Sit there for three or four hours. I taped for three or four hours because twenty-five songs, or however many, however many we ended up doing. Wow! But I was in that room for three or four hours. Drove back another three and a half to get back in time for my show. I mean, we're talking spending the entire day on this thing. Not to mention the week I spent writing. Oh, for sure. Not to mention the stress of getting back to Baltimore, Baltimore, which was a paid gig. I'm assuming a paid gig. Not well. Of course. I mean, this was all for like a hundred bucks. Yeah. I didn't get paid by VH1. So you didn't get paid was, by VH1 at no, all. No, those shows didn't pay. Which is part of why, and I mean, you know, this part of of like my life when people like freaked out about me about a show I was working on that wasn't paying. Sure, sure, sure. And which I could probably do an entire episode on. I know. But... Um, like it was just hilarious that I was like VH1 spent twenty years not paying people. Or oh, sure. Ten years, whatever it was. So they didn't, be, and they called it softsational, which is just outright embarrassing. Sure. So, you know, I'm probably making like a hundred bucks in Baltimore. Yeah. I'm spending more on gas and tolls, mm-hmm. getting back and forth. But I'm just like, this is important for my career. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get on softsational songs, right? And when I kill it on that, they're gonna use me on all this other stuff. And more so, and as a, you're chasing that as seen on, yes, early in your career, you're mm-hmm. just trying to get as seen on. Hundred percent. You might know him from, from VH1. They don't say softsational in that intro. They don't. They don't. Nor would I let them. I ch- I chased. Yep. You got to chase those as seen on. I would not allow them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first year in the business, my credits were Ed and Law and Order because I was an extra on <laughs> Ed and Law and Order. There you go. Now people don't even know what Ed was. I you literally threw. I thought you said and Law and Order. No, Ed and Law and Order. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I mean, Law and Order, but what person lived in New York who has not been on Law and Order? Oh, sure. It's also just a conv- when you're in the crowd, it's something people do a lot to this day. Yeah. Where people will be like, as seen on The Good Place. And then they walk on stage and you're like, okay. They're clearly like, like I've it, seen maybe every set a line. And you can just see everyone being like, huh? Yeah. Why? Why would you say that as your credit if no one knows what that is? If, like, yeah. To me, it's so much better just to give a, a VH1 Comedy Central or a show you're actually on. My than... saying Law & Order was ridiculous because when you move to New York, like if you moved to New York in the late 90s, like Jerry Orbach would just walk into your apartment. Of like course. that's how many people were on Law & Order. <laughs> I mean, they were solving a lot of cases. It was ridiculous. Uh-huh. Always ridiculous. So uh, I taped for like four hours, three, four hours, okay? I kill in the room. The crew has to stop filming at one point because the camera guy's laughing too hard. That's one of those things where I walked out being like, 
I came, I saw, I conquered. Mm -hmm. I did exactly what I needed to do. I told everyone to watch that show. First of all, didn't know what the title was. So that was difficult. You didn't know about Softsational yet? I didn't know it was Softsational. Oh. I was told it was like top 40 soft rock songs of all time. Sure. So I, I think I probably would. I still would have told people to watch it if I knew it was Softsational, but I would have been a little less enthusiastic. Of course. Either way. I would have been a little softsational <laughs> on it. A little softsational. Yeah. <laughs> so I the show comes on, and I'm watching, and I'm ready. I'm ready to see my part. Here's the killer part. Here's the killer part. I'm taping it. This is VCR days. Mm-hmm. I'm taping it. Oh, I was on that show. I had one line. I held up an album cover, and I said, this is, I forget the name of the album. It was the album that One on One by Hall & Oates was on. Okay. And I literally go, this is whatever, the album that One on One is on. That was it. That was my whole Ooh. part. So after I gathered myself up from the melty pile of Steve on the floor, mm -hmm. I called the casting director. Wow. I don't know what I was thinking. Because <laughs> let me tell you this, never worked for her again. Oh, this I, is, for the record, this is a, and for those who don't know Hollywood etiquette, this is wild move <laughs> completely <laughs> ridiculous i was so mad though because also not on the casting director go no, ahead well but i <laughs> called i called her up mm -hmm. and i said well because it was in-house it was in-house casting director it was someone who worked at vh1 as like a casting person at vh1 a little bit more on the casting director go ahead <laughs> and i called her up and i said i know i did well in the room why would you have me in and well, no, first actually I said, I said, what happened? I said, did I do something wrong? And she said, well, no, you know, you filmed on the last day and by then, you know, we had most of what we needed. And I said, well, why wouldn't you tell me that then? Why would you have me there for four hours? Why wouldn't you give, give me some sort of indication? Like, why would you do this? And she was just like, well, you know, I mean, in case, there was something that, you know, we'd back up. Uh -huh. And it just hurt me so much because I, I was so excited to not be back around anymore. But then I was just still just back up. Yep. <laughs> like it wasn't. And that was the first time that I started learning don't tell people to watch stuff until after it airs. A valuable failing forward lesson. When I was on Ferguson, the first time it was supposed to air – I was preempted by Sarah Palin. Oh. At the, it was supposed to air the night of the Republican National Convention, and she wouldn't shut the fuck up. And Shoot so, yeah, and so they ended up uh, starting the show late and ending it early, like they didn't air a full episode, oh. and so they just cut my part. Now, two weeks later, sure, but at the same, like I could have been cut completely, but at the same time, I just told everyone I ever knew. Of course, I'm going to be on Ferguson night. They gave me the heads up that it might happen because once they realized the yeah. convention was that night. And for the record, that's not on Ferguson in any not way. Not at all. Like that booker that booker is frustrated. Everybody's frustrated that's that happens. That's on Palin. It's on Palin. Yeah. Some would say it's on McCain. Yeah. Uh that was a uh, That's a tough one. That's a different topic. But but I do think it's worth mentioning about this VH1 story. Yeah. You got your scene on. 
I was technically on it, and boy, did I use that credit. Uh-huh. I still use that credit. You I just said I've seen VH1. on VH1. You don't know Softsational. Just holding the album. And actually, so I remember when this happened. This was uh, 2007. And the reason I know it was 2007 is because that was my 10-year uh, high school reunion. Oh. And I didn't go to the reunion because they had moved the date of it. Like the original date that they had it, and then they moved, uh, they moved it to like the next, the day before. It was supposed to be on a Sunday. They moved it to a Saturday, and I was like, I'm working that Saturday. I can't go. And so, but we had like a little like everybody get together around Thanksgiving kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember going to that, all excited that I was going to have a VH1 credit, and then that happening, and then just being like. Yeah, you know, I was on VH1. It was, yeah. you know, but it was before everything was online, so it was easy enough. To... Yeah, you could just pick. Yeah, I was on it. Yeah, I was on VH1. You didn't see that the, the, the softsational thing? That one hurts. Yeah, that one will hurt. That one hurts. We're gonna get a quick word from our sponsors. Then we're gonna be back. Hey, and just like that, we're back. Welcome back to. I mean, I should be a host. I'm very, I'm good at this. You really should. You should do your own thing. I'm trying. We're, we're we're thinking about doing a Danny podcast these days, but we keep fighting about it. Well, um, I mean, if anybody remembers, we, we co-hosted, did a pod- we co-hosted a podcast, and it was great. It was that was I, a lot of fun. I loved that podcast. Thinking about getting back in the pod. When I was done with it, I said I when I was out of the podcast game. Still, but still up. You could still see old episodes of High Confidence, Low Self Esteem. Certainly can. A terrifying thought for me because I'm like, what? What even was I thinking about? That? What was I like at that time? But <laughs> you were like, eh. yeah. I, mean, I was I was such a growing little boy, but. Uh, recently we've been thinking about it. But for now, we get to hear this one time, Danny hosting a podcast. Yeah. Um, and we move on to our next story, a story I like to call Last Comic Standing. Yes, Last Comic Standing Season 2. Season 2. So this is one. So this is when, and for the record, Season 2 is when Season 1 was a hit. So yes. it was it was a big deal. It was a huge Last deal. Last Comic Standing, you forget, it's lost a lot of momentum. That thing at the time was Everything. It was also before every cable channel was bigger than network channels. Yes. Being on a network show was everything. Yep. And so this was, I believe, 2005. So this, this is before VH1. Before VH1. This is before VH1. Before Softsational. So before, this is pre-Softsational. Pre-Softsational. Yeah. I, like to... I, guess, I guess technically my first real credit, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. So I've written about this story on my social media. So some people might know it. Um, don't spoil it for the other listeners, guys. <laughs> don't call everybody. Don't interrupt. Uh, yeah, ahead. if you guys could just not interrupt this story <laughs> while you're listening passively after it was recorded weeks later. Uh-huh. So, in season two of Last Comic. Now, of course, I don't have representation yet. I'd been a comic for two years. Nobody has. And I, season one was a hit. I was spending the, I was spending a month in L.A. for the winter. I was, like, very excited to, like, try comedy, basically. And I had this college tour that was set up where I basically had a month off because, like, you can't play colleges in the winter, like in December break. So I figured out – and this was when, by the way, a tour meant, like, oh, I had one $300 gig at this school and another $200 gig at that school, and they were 14 hours apart. So mathematically, you can make it. <sighs> Brutal. That was what that tour was. Brutal. So, but we figured out, okay, the last show of the tour, I think, was in, like, of the fir- first semester, was in uh, New Mexico, and the first show of the next one was in San Diego. 
So I was like, I'm going to spend a month in LA. And I found a sublet. And it was before LA was insanely expensive. So I found a sublet in West Hollywood, I think for like 400 bucks for the month. It was crazy. Ooh. And like a, like my own bedroom and everything. Yeah. It was insane. So I was going to be there for the month. And that is when they were auditioning. Like toward the end of it, they were auditioning uh, for Last Comic in LA. And I was all excited. And I was going to go to the improv. And I go there and I do the whole like camp out overnight thing. First of all, I submitted a tape. Yeah. And, but I didn't hear from them. So you did the true open call. True open call. So first I submitted a tape and then I went to the open call and had no chance of getting there. I was just in line way too late because I got there at like 6 a.m. <clears throat> and I mean, people in LA camp out longer for the Laugh Factory open mic. Oh, yeah. So. I had a thousand homeless people in front of me and two or three comics. And it was just something where like, yeah, it was a fun day hanging out on the line because it's LA, it's nice weather, mm -hmm. everything's fine. It was fun, but I didn't get in. I was probably about 50 people away from getting in. Okay. I wasn't that far off. And so then I hear from them and they say, hey, we see that you're gonna be in St. Louis the day before we're filming in Nashville, would you come to the Nashville audition? And I said, yeah, I would love to. Now I've already kind of been through the audition process and that seeing, and I had friends who got in and mm -hmm. you know, and seeing how it all worked. And so I was like, yeah, what time would you like me there? And they're like, oh, people start lining up you know, probably the night before. And I was like, oh no, but you're asking me to come in. So like I should have like a prearranged showcase. And they said, oh, we don't do those in Nashville. Those are only in LA and New York. And I said, so you saw my tape, you liked me enough to look up my tour schedule to calculate the mileage and figure out that I can come to Nashville, but not enough to just have me in. And she was, in fairness, she was like, look, I'm just supposed to call people. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And I do respect that answer when I get that from somebody. Absolutely. That's, such that's a, not that's her That's such a good, fair answer. Just be like, I just call. That's Yeah, she's a PA. Yep. Probably not making anything. Yeah, I don't know. Come or don't. This is I did my job. Just, yeah, I, did, <laughs> exactly. you, did you get the information? Yeah. That's it. Exactly. Like, shut up. I'm probably younger than you, and you are 23. Right. <laughs> so, I, uh, so my buddy that I was touring with, you know, who wasn't even a comic. He was just a buddy of mine who like did some open mics that I was like, come do the road with me, this will be fun. And we just had this crazy experiment for a year. Should do a whole episode on that year. But we go and we're like, okay, we're gonna go to Nashville and this will be fun. We'll camp out, it'll be a good time. Nashville can't be that bad, it's Tennessee. It gets warm in Tennessee. Oh no. So we get there and we get there the night before having learned the lesson of LA. Sure. So we get there the night before. And it is about 30 degrees out, which is not comfortable no. to be outside the entire night. Mm -mm. But we brought sleeping bags. We did the whole thing. Mm -hmm. we camped out. This is on the sidewalk by Zaney's, Nashville. And in the beginning, there's probably overnight, there's probably about 20 of us. Everybody's talking. We're cold, but we're having a good time. We're getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. There's one guy there who's just this bitter fuck who is just saying, oh, none of us even have a chance. We didn't like it. It sucks that he was right. 
he was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. We were we were there as extras. We were there. They wanted people to come out to show the hype of the show. Right. And in L.A. and New York, that's easy. In Nashville, not as easy. There aren't a thousand comedians in Nashville. Yeah. And so there certainly weren't then. So we wait the whole night. It starts snowing. Yeah. So finally, but I know I'm going to get seen. I know I'm going to get seen. Now the crews arrive at like 9 a.m. Sun's already out. You know, they're having a ball. By this time, our fun has worn off. And, you know, I'm on two, three hours of sleep, if that, Mm -hmm. in 10 minutes at a time. Shivering. It rained. It snowed. So they interview us about waiting online. And I say, which, you know, is a joke I've now used since. I was just angry at the time. They asked me how it was waiting on the street. And I said, well, the rain wasn't great. The snow got really bad. The locusts really sucked. Just a fun little. Great joke. Thanks. So I go in for the audition. Uh, Dry off. (laughs) Had to dry off first. Go in for the audition. And look, I'm not lighting the world on fire with that material. I look back at the stuff I was doing. It's not great. Of course. But it's good enough. And... One of the two, there are two casting directors, and one of the two is laughing. I'm doing well, and I'm like getting some courage. The other one, out loud, turns to him and goes, stop laughing. <laughs> In the middle of a joke. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even wait for like a paw, like, and I just, I'm, the, the balloon has no air. Yeah. I'm, I'm just completely deflated. And so I leave, and as I'm walking out, a writer for the Nashville Tennessean, which is like the biggest paper in Tennessee, comes over to me. And he goes, hey, you know, I've watched the first however many auditions, whatever. Uh, you were the first one I liked. Can I talk to you? I was like, absolutely. And I start getting this little moment of pride again. And he interviews me. It's a nice interview. Takes a decent amount of time. Everything's good again, right? <laughs> Everything's good in the world. My buddy and I go back to the car. It has been broken into. Oh. Brick through the window. Of course. Um, the, thankfully, the laziest break-in way. Absolutely. Just, if you're going to break in, just will you do? Just show me you had a little skill. And right, you did learn something. a trade. Yes, throwing a brick in. It's, so yeah. la- oh, it's just such a bummer. It was just, yeah, it was just, oh, brick, window. Here yep. we go. Here, and it's that sure. Um, thankfully... They just, it was smash and grab. And so they didn't take all that much. Mm-hmm. And my backpack with my laptop was in the back seat. Oh. So they didn't take it, good, good, which good. is great. Okay. But just even having the expense of having to fix the window sure. was enough. It's it's a bummer. Just yeah. a super, just an immediate, on top of a, a bad day. Yeah. Gets worse. Of course. So we go to the $29 a night motel where you know, that we needed to stay in. Sure. And in probably a part of town where I'm surprised there wasn't a brick through the window, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I'm just pissed. I'm pissed about the whole thing. And I'm just thinking like, fuck this business. Why am I doing this? Come to find out that night. Now, of course, I don't go to the finals. I sleep through it. 
there's no way I'm going to go back to the club to see how it was. But my buddy goes. Three people make it from Nashville. None of them were online with us. They all had showcases. Mm-hmm. They all had pre-approved showcases. Now, looking back at who they were, they were famous. Like, they were all well-known people already. Mm-hmm. And one of them ended up winning that season, John Heffron. Really funny um, guy. Incredibly funny. Good mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. Not his fault. No. But the idea that, like, they, it was all prearranged, and we were just tricked into going there. Yeah. And I remember going to sleep after I found that out, thinking, I don't want any part of this business. And then I realized that the part of the business I was upset at was TV, not stand-up. Yeah. And that made me kind of refocus my attention on stand-up. Now, the problem is, in order to do stand-up, you need TV because you need to be able to sell tickets. They feed each other. Now, the equivalent of that is YouTube. You know, it's not the same thing anymore. Yeah. But they do absolutely feed each other. They feed each other hard. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a bit of part of the business. It's just sucks. The reason that people know the story on social media is because I had kind of forgotten about it. Yeah. And then last year when I played Zanies and we were like packed to the gills, I walked to the club and I go, and I look at that spot on the sidewalk and I just went, oh man, I remember that spot. Yeah. And it was like, I had totally forgotten about it. I wasn't thinking about like, when I booked the gig at Zanies, I wasn't thinking like, ah, triumphant return. Right. I was like, oh yeah, it's another club. There's truly so many failures doing this that there are things, somebody will bring up like a failure of mine and I'll be mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I completely forgot about that at, like event. Yeah. I completely even forgot that that show existed, that thing. Like I have so many of those where I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. That sucked. I feel like, yeah, it wasn't that awful. Yeah, but you just like, it just, those first five years in standup are just a buildup of just shitty experience after shitty experience after a moment of nice Followed by another shitty experience. It's it's just be, becoming a human callus. Yeah. Like, that's all it is. It's learning to play the emotional guitar. Yep. It's a game of survival. Yeah. I think we have time for your, for your third story. And, and this one is a lighter one. Lighter one? This one is a lighter one. Well, it's, never mind. It's one of the most ridiculous. It's It might rival your polar bear story. Whoa. Yeah. Tell me about ESPN. Now, if anyone has not heard the polar bear story, go back, listen to episode one. Episode one, it's a classic. It is <laughs> it is one of my favorite It's a classic. Stories. It's a, it's Hollywood folklore at this point. It is. It is. I've heard I, I think I've said that on the episode. I've like it's been told to me without people knowing that I've told it I've told it in rooms and somebody's going, I've heard about this story. Yeah. And I'm going like, Yeah, it's me. Yeah, it's my, it's my story. Yeah. Which is true of a lot of stuff that happened to me in Hollywood where I will have moments where I will um I will talk about something and someone will be like, oh, yeah, it was you. And it's like you, I, there was a real feel for me early in my career of like this guy isn't going to be around long. So we can just sort of – and I think that's true of a lot of people. I think there's a lot of like really? – I think there's a lot of people and I think it's probably true with a lot of young comics. As I said, I, was like, I don't even think it's special to me where it's like, yeah, why not fuck him over on Last Comic Standing? He won't be around in two years. Most people in stand-up quit. That is true. So it's like, who cares? Who cares about who cares? VH1 cast director, who cares? And then 15 years down the road, your name comes up again. They're like, ah, fuck, he's still around? Damn it. Yeah. Ah. I thought I screwed him enough for him to quit. Yeah, it's like, because most people do quit. Yeah. So you forget. They're like, ah, but I always am like, that's why I'm always like, be nice to people, man. You don't know who's going to stick around. Yeah. I remember uh, at Westwood Bruco, which I've talked about on this show, that, you know, a huge fondness for, that's kind of where I feel like I really got my chops as a comic. Yeah. 
uh, I remember standing outside the bar talking to a bunch of comics, and it was Miles Gibrani, uh, Sam Tripoli, Brett Ernst, and you know who have all gone on to you know various successes. Very, very, own, very talented people. Yeah, all their three. own things. And I mean, Maz, I think had already done a ton yeah, of TV. Two of them. Yeah, and just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Play the game, trying to figure out who he means. Which one do I? No, they're no, all they're, really, yeah, really, they're, they're all, all really, they've all done great. <laughs> and so. <clears throat> I remember talking about something in a very wide-eyed way. Yeah. And Tripoli and Ernst just kind of give me a little shit. And I didn't really know them well yet. And, you know, I was kind of like, what? And I think it was Brett who said, he was like, well, you know, I've been out here seven years, and uh, every year I hear the same thing you just said from someone who I never hear from again. So I'm just curious as to whether or not I'm going to ever hear from you. And it was great, and it stuck with me. In a, I mean, it was it was a fun ribbing, but I also was like, yeah, you're gonna keep hearing from me. Yeah, I ain't going anywhere. Right. I already almost quit from last comic. Right. You know, I already went through my. I hate this. Oh yeah. I mean, I've probably. I mean, it's you have you have at least two thousand. I might quit after this. Yeah. I, I had one today. I had a I had a bad day, and I was like really? a, a thing, and I was like I was like I literally had a, I was like I might quit. I might be done, and then you bounce back because that's what that's what you do as a comic, but like yeah, it there, never stops. There were only two real times I ever thought of quitting. Really? Yeah. The other one that I thought of quitting, and I'll get to the ESPN story in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but farcical ESPN story. Yeah, yeah. The only other time I thought of quitting was uh, I was doing a college in, this is, I think, 2011. And I was a better comic in 2008 than I was in 2011. Because in the time- Very, very common to regress. So 2008 was when I recorded uh, Dark Side of the Room, and that was when I was doing, like, my material. And then I started getting some bookings, and I started desperately trying to get rebooked. And so then I was doing jokes to make people laugh, not stuff I wanted to say. When I first started out, I remember opening for Phil Palisall, and he said a phrase I'll never forget where he goes, what I like about you is you drop the comedy plow. You plow the field. You don't tend the garden. You plow the field. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that. And I always thought of myself, I'm going to drop the comedy plow. And then around 2011, I started just fucking pruning trees. And I was doing jokes about Walmart and blowjobs and like just stuff that wasn't what I wanted to talk about. Right. And so I'm doing this college in North Carolina where the student activities director had just checked the fuck out. He was getting a new job that was starting in two weeks. This was his two-week notice period. He did not care how well this event went. He did not promote it. Uh, he did not staff it. It was in a giant gym. Um, there was the stage was a table. There was, I think, probably about 15 people there. I get on the table to start my show. <laughs> And one of the legs starts to falter, and I have to jump off of it for safety. That's my that's my opening. Mm -hmm. So I do the material I can do. People aren't really listening. They're, I mean, people aren't really there. I come off, quote-unquote, stage. I come off parquet floor. Yeah. And uh, I go to my merch table. And I'll also mention this, just, just on a side note, because you did an hour. Yes. You cannot imagine how long an hour is. <laughs> <laughs> to 15 to when you're bombing to 15 like i've done it i've done a couple called it's you really college it but 
that hour, you can't imagine how long and frustrating and consistently you're begging to try to solve the situation. Yes. And you just can't fix it for an hour. You you add a material by 30. Oh, I remember this. I almost forgot this detail. So it was a college run. I had like seven or eight schools. Mm-hmm. And it was snowing in New York, and all the flights were getting canceled. And so in order to not miss that run, I took the train down to Atlanta, which was a 17-hour train ride. So, I mean, I'm like, I like desperately go to make this gig, because I had a couple of gigs before it. Mm-hmm. We get to North Carolina, we do this gig, I get to the merch table, no one's buying anything, and two of my shirts have been stolen. And there's someone that's supposed to staff the merch table in the contract. Like in the contract, there's supposed to be someone at the school to make sure not that doesn't happen. Yeah. And they didn't care. It was like two shirts. Oh, and two Sharpies. I'm like, who took my fucking Sharpies? Yeah. And the activities director did not care, did not apologize, was not mortified that his students are kleptomaniacs, did not care. Yep. So I'm miserable. And I get in the car and I am just going off because it was a young comic I was touring with. And I'm going off about how shitty it is. Why do I do this? Fuck this industry. I hate this, etc. Thinking of quitting. And he says, and okay, so he says, he just stops. He goes, how much you get paid for that gig? And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, how much did you get paid for it? And I told him it was $1,400. Because it's college. Yeah. Colleges pay pretty well. Colleges pay more than they should. Absolutely more than they should. Mm-hmm. I got paid about 100 bucks a head on that gig. Yep. And colleges are paying you early when you're not red. Like Colleges were the first thing I started making money on. Yeah. Colleges will, and compared to like anything headlining you're doing at that level. Because a lot of the gigs are college. horrible, so they have to pay you extra for you to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and it's also not their money. Yeah. They're spending student activities fees. They're literally looking for ways to spend money. Yeah. And so he was like, so what are you complaining about? Because he had just started. Yeah. And I thought about it, and I realized what I was complaining about was that I bombed with material I wasn't proud of. I didn't bomb my way. I bombed with garbage. I bombed with crowd-pleasing shit. And so I started realizing that, like, yeah, you know what? You might bomb sometimes. Yeah. But there's that great quote from Bill Hicks, if you're going to bomb, talk about something interesting. And so that started me on the path of rewriting my entire set. And so that that's the other time I almost quit. Anyway, wasn't even intending to tell that story. Do we have time for the ESPN? Yeah, we'll do the ESPN story. As long as you have time for it. I don't know. We're good. There's no one in the studio after us. Okay, great, great. All right. Okay. ESPN story. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to... Probably 2011, I think it was somewhere around there. Okay. Or sorry, it's about 2000. No, so it would have been 2012 then, because 2011 was when I was like bombing with garbage that wasn't mine. Sure, sure, sure. So 2012, things started getting better. Which is how many years in now? So at that point, I'm about uh, 10 years in. 10 years in. So things are starting to go better. Mm-hmm. And I had been pitching this show. I, I had I wanted to do a sports version of the Daily Show which is the easiest idea. But I came up with a way to do it that I thought would really work. And I had been working on it for a couple of years. I think the first time I, sh- I you know, shot my own pilot for it was probably 2008. And so the premise of the show was it was a variety show. So there would be funny interviews, there would be sketches, 
There would be the standard news pieces. There would be desk pieces. It was all kinds of stuff. So it was like a cross between like Daily Show and SNL, but for sports. The, the caveat was that it was funny first. We had some really good segments. We had a thing called My Father the Sports Fan, which was like a, like a Wonder Years-esque remembrance of like how shitty of a person his dad was. Nice. And, you know, Justin, I, like the one that we had was, uh, you know, talking about how we went to like an old Braves game and, you know, Hank Aaron struck out four times and he was just, his dad was just riding him the whole game. You suck, you suck. And then, you know, outside we see Hank Aaron coming out of the stadium and, you know, he's like, hey, would you sign this ball for my kid? And Aaron looked over at us and he goes, and I'll never forget what Hank Aaron said to my dad. Hey, fuck you, man. <laughs> and so like that was the, yeah, yeah, you know, that was, the, anyway, that was the bit. So it was fun. That was a great fit. Thanks. There was a producer at, oh, yeah, we had a commercial for Gatorade infused with horse tranquilizers called Gatorade IV. Oh, man, you, could, you couldn't even get half this pitch out right now to ESPN. Yeah. They no, because ESPN's all Disney now. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't even get out of work. Also, because the, they're so, uh, they have to work with all the brands. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> Gatorade with horse. Hey, they would laugh you out of the room. Absolutely. <laughs> but it was, we had good people in the pilot. Tom Cotter was in it. Ted Alexander was in it. Ooh. It was a lot of fun. And it was just like a self-shot thing. Yeah. So there's a producer at ESPN that really liked it. We had lunch. He thought it was great. He brought it to the content department. Newly formed content department mm-hmm. that was going to, you know, ESPN taking the world by storm. So they really liked it. But they said, the way we kind of work things here at the network is we spin off shows for people that our viewers already know. So they said, but we love the show. So here's what we'd like to do. Why don't we talk about getting you on the air about once a week for a year in order to get our viewers familiar with you enough to give you your own show? So now we're talking my own show. We're talking, even without it, just getting on the network once a week for a year, let alone getting paid. Wonderful. And then they also say, hey, we're working on this digital thing where we're doing sketches. Would you write a couple of those sketches? I was like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I start to work on the sketches, I get an email saying, hey, ABC, because it was when ESPN and ABC were really becoming one. Uh, ABC has this pre-greenlit pilot for Sage Steele's life. Sage Steele was a reporter at ESPN, or anchorwoman. And her background was of a mixed family, like mine. And so they said, every sitcom writer we've hired to do this is writing this 90s cheesy bullshit. Would you like to take a crack at it? And I was like, wait, I've never staffed on a show. You want me to be a showrunner? And they said, well, we know we can't use what we have. So write us an outline. And if we like it, we'll send it up the chain. So I was like, absolutely. So I wrote an outline for the pilot episode for this biopic type thing on Sage Steel. And they loved it. Now, I don't have an agent at this point. So right. I'm not, I don't have any of these deals negotiated. Of course not. I don't have paper on any of this stuff. This is, and this is classic early this is even to this day i there's so many things hollywood is built on like eh, don't worry about it yeah and then consistently you should have worried about it absolutely should have worried about it and what i always say to people when i ask for a contract mm-hmm. and i say well i'm not working without one they'll always you know and people will be like oh well we'll be fine i go no 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 contract is only for a worst case scenario so as long as you're not planning on a worst case scenario what's the problem with the contract 
And that typically gets people to go, oh, yeah, no, okay, I understand. Yeah. Everything I've ever done without a contract, I've been fucked on. Sure. But this one, uh, so now I'm working on the sketches. I wrote a very funny sketch about a show instead of Basketball Wives. We were going to do Hockey Wives. And it was just a bunch of middle-class people being normal. Love it. Like, it was all, like, there was one scene where, uh, where, like, the mother is like, well, kids, you've, you're reached the age where I should really introduce you to your real father, which is a scene from Basketball Wives. Yeah. Except then the camera pans out, and it's just, like, Martin St. Louis, who, like, gets the good guy trophy every year. Yeah. And he's like, but I, but I'm a really good dad. I've been here the whole time. And like it just shows kind of the difference in hockey. Yeah, yeah. And like one and there was one where it's just like, yeah, you know, it really spurs on a new car and it shows and it's like a 1992 Corolla. So, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. They're all drinking wine outside, but it's like 20 degrees. Great sketch. So, love it. I uh, I've got the show in development. I've got the pilot for ABC. And I've got the overall talent deal. Suddenly, I don't hear from them for like two weeks. And it's weird. I'm like, they're just not answering any emails. A couple days here and there I can get, you know. But I'm emailing the producer, the head of content. They're like, you know, I emailed a couple different people. No one's getting back to me. So then I reach out to the original producer who brought me in. And I was like, what the hell's going on, man? I don't hear from anybody. And he goes, do you read Deadspin? And I said, sometimes. And he said, read it tomorrow. Deadspin, if anyone's unfamiliar, basically gossip blog for sports. I am actually a big Deadspin uh, ad, um, uh, backer. There were some I things. A word, but there there were some things that Deadspin did where I'm just like, eh, this is garbage clickbait. They, look, they're, they're always going to do that a little bit, but right, also, but, for the most part, but they're playing the internet game. I mean, look, it's hard to be on the internet and not do some clickbait. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, they they do some really good reporting a lot of the time, and a couple times, this was good reporting. They've they've screwed up, but sometimes they do a good job. Sometimes they do like Monte Teo. I think is like their biggest kind of screw up. Yes, but but this this was good reporting. This was good reporting. So not a good thing, but good reporting. Well, that's uh, yeah. the VP of the content department, and this is about a year after the Aaron Andrews peephole scandal broke. Um, so she was already like afraid to be known as that. So. Apparently, independent of that, I think even before the peephole thing happened, but it's just the story broke later, the VP of the content department was sitting on a plane next to Aaron Andrews and started masturbating. That's the story that broke. I'll tell you, this is a funnier one. <laughs> so they folded the content department. I don't know if ESPN was like, hey, we're Disney, we don't want this to be a thing. I don't know if ESPN folded it because that same guy was pretty litigious. He sued his last employer. And maybe just folding the whole content department is an easier way than just firing him. Or maybe they were just like, fuck this. This is too much for us. Yeah. Or they're Disney, so they're like, fudge this. Yeah. and I, I well, Boys and girls. <laughs> sure. But also I think ESPN, they oh, and this is true of every sports thing I've worked with, and yeah. I've desperately tried to find a sports place that doesn't, that wants to work with comedians. But in general, sports places are really down for something new and different until something actually might happen. Right. And then they're like, 
you know, we just do sport. Like they just always back away. And I bet yeah. the second there was a prom, they were like, why are we making content? Let's just show. And that's right. It. And it was the department they made like a scripted show. Uh, I think like some behind the scenes like football thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, they did a couple. They took a couple of swings yeah. and mine was going to be the next one. Right. And there goes the department. And so I used to joke around that like the people who went through that were, were myself included, were the only people in Hollywood who were masturbated out of a job. Last year that changed. Mm-hmm. Last year a lot of people got masturbated out of a job. Sure. Um, <laughs> a whole lot of people. But uh, yeah, that was one where when it happened, I couldn't even get that mad because I was just like, well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Like, how do I contend with someone being that big of a dirtbag that they masturbate on a flight next to on-air talent? And it's a nice closure moment. You at least got that closure moment of like, well, that explains that. Yeah, exactly. Because there are the times where you work on something with a company for forever, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're like, you know, no. And you're like, what happened? Right, but what why? Ha- what happened? At least yeah. it's like, yeah, well, you can't do that. I have one more bit of closure from that story. Oh, yeah? So the guy that this happened to, I'd met him once before, or the, or the guy that did this happened to. How dare I? Sure, but, you know. Um, the guy that made this happen to the rest of us especially Aaron Andrews. Sure. Um, I had met him once before, and he was a dick then. Um, I went into his office because everyone who was one rung below him was like, this is Wunderkind. This kid is the next big thing. Right. You need to meet him. So I met with him. He hadn't looked me up or anything before the meeting. Classic. And instead of like, you know, when that happens and you're running late, and that happens, look, executives are meeting with a lot of people. Maybe wait in the lobby for 15 minutes. Sure, sure, I sure. Got a they, cell phone. I'll be fine. Yes, and I would say it's very common in Hollywood to for for sometimes if somebody's doing a meeting with you and they're a little bit lazier, they will do a, I mean, minute long scan. Yeah. Of like like almost like a Tony Hale in Veep. Yeah. Of just like just like this guy's a comic. He's thinking about thinking about making a monitor part on our talent. And that's like it. Yeah. Well, and I've done things where I'm meeting with someone and I'm like, who is this person again? And I'll like give him a quick Google while I'm in the lobby. Sure. He, while I was in his office, in his office, the meeting had already started. He didn't know anything about me. So he looked me up and made me sit there while he watched my videos. Uh, So painful. The worst. So painful. And then he, so I already didn't like him. Mm -hmm. So this happens and clearly I don't like him. Sure. Another, I'd say strike two. Yes. He shows up a couple years later to one of my comedy festivals. I think it was like two years later. He didn't have any recollection of ever meeting me. Of course not. He didn't know I had ever been in his office. He didn't know I was one of the people who he masturbated out of work. (laughs) He just showed up to the comedy festival because he was industry and, you know, he probably was flailing a little bit and trying to, you know, get his name out there and work on new projects. Of course. Was he there as industry or was he there just like as an audience member? As industry. Wow. He like submitted to, he submitted to us to be there as industry without me, and it was someone else who was working on it. When I saw his name, I was like, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy? And I'm not going to even say his name because I want to give him no publicity whatsoever. Although it'd be easy enough to figure this out. Sure. This is all Googleable. <laughs> so he comes over to me after the show and introduces himself. And he 
you know, in a very like, oh, yeah, you know, this is great, and I'd love to work with you on something. Now, I don't want to shake his hand, partially because what a dick and fuck you. I'm not going to extend myself to you. But also, even though everybody masturbates and I get it, if you're known for that, I just feel like that's all I think about when you're Sure, you don't know how. Hand. Well, you also just don't know with him how recent. It could it's, have been mere seconds ago. Absolutely. If you're going to masturbate on a plane next to your on-air talent. Nobody's safe. Yeah, it literally could have been during the show. Mm-hmm. That could have been when it happened. Uh-huh. And so I was like, I'm not touching this person. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some of my failure stories. But did you tell him who you were or you just, you just kept no, quiet? No, no. I just said, nice to meet you. Yeah. Do you want to know the saddest part? And you and you don't need to say where. What? Does the guy still work in the industry? I don't know. Uh, I honestly don't know. I haven't looked him up in a while. Let's look him up. I bet yeah. you I bet you once we're done here, we're going to look him up. I doubt he does. You, I, I, I think I, I bet think, he does. You they, think they're so? like cockroaches, man. <laughs> Guys like that, man, they just keep getting. There's so many. I, I'm, there's something in this industry where, like, if you get to a certain level, people just keep hiring you. There was a booker in New York, and I don't think he's in it anymore. But he must have booked for four different clubs. Yep. And everyone he gets, you know, they get fired from. They're like, that's it. Obviously, that's the last time we're gonna see Frank. And then all of a sudden, you're like, yeah. and every time. When he was at that club, all the comics were like, fuck that guy so much, we all hate him. Mm-hmm. And then he would somehow get hired by somebody else. And you'd be like, why? Yeah, yeah, and they're like, well, he has experience booking a club where everybody yeah, yeah, hates yeah. him. It's like, well, well, yeah. And the part that kills you is there's so many good industry people in this town. Yeah. There's so many good people in the industry, and there's just a couple that just, that, like, like cockroaches, you can't kill them. Because yeah. clearly they're good at getting jobs. Yeah. You can't kill them. Yeah. That's, well, we're not going to advocate murder on this podcast. You can't. Kill them unless you try. Guys, this has been Failing Forward <laughs> with uh, Danny Jollis for one episode, but Steve Hofstetter normally. Um, we should have we should have photoshopped you into the artwork. I thought about whether that was going to happen. but That I, would have been very funny. Eh, well, yeah. We should have done it. Eh, Didn't plan ahead enough. Eh, yeah, regrets. But, the, but, the, but this was very fun. Thanks for doing this, uh, man. Of course. And I hope people, I hope people heard those stories and, and realized that in a now how many year career? 17. And now 17 year career. There's a lot of it's it's a lot of it's a lot of failing. Oh, I, I got more than that. Well, maybe we'll do this every 20 episodes. Sure, let me know. I'll I mean, those those are definitely some of my greatest hits for sure. Yeah. But no, but it's true. I mean, we all but there's so many that like you even forget happened. Yeah. Cuz I have that all the time where I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, I forgot about that school in North Carolina until I was like, when was that other time I wanted to quit? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, that the time, time I was on a... Oh, I mean... That time I was on a table. Oh, I forget all the time about some college gigs that I've done where yeah, I'm like, remember oh, when yeah, I was on that a table and almost broke my ankle? so sad. I could do a whole episode about college gigs. That one we I did, did at Fairfield. Gig, I was going to say I did a gig with you where we were in a science room and we were on top of a table. Uh, Yes, but then also we did a gig that we told the story on my YouTube channel Oh, that Fairfield. one was Well, that one was a nightmare. That was a gig where the thing I remember most about that gig is I paid you ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Just so I could be like, give you something to remember why we're doing this. Yeah, <laughs> like here's your money. We're getting paid. And very, but very much like that uh, kid from that North Carolina story. I remember the time being like, you know what though, I'm being paid to I'm being paid to do comedy. That was pretty exciting. <laughs> like I remember leaving there. It, it wasn't until you, when I you weren't as bummed about it as I was. I mean, I was. I remember being because I the TVs were still on during your part. I at least got them to shut them off by the end of yours. Yeah, but I would say that. Now, if I could go back, I would know how to handle that. Yes. That was my first time. I I never dealt with like, oh, nobody's even looking in my direction before. And I really just did like plow ahead with material. 
And I, I think in back- a way for that situation, you did kind of handle it because you didn't freak. I didn't freak, which is which is one of my strengths. Someone said most, one of my best strengths as a comic. Yeah, is I tend to stay just like, all right. Yeah, this is what's happening. Yeah, no, I did not completely fall apart, but I remember being pretty upset. All right, um, Steve, where can the people find you? Is Here. that a thing you do? It is. It is. But you should tell people where they can find you. Sure. You can find Steve here. Uh, when does this come out, Steve? Uh, probably a couple of weeks. Okay. I don't know the exact date. <laughs> well, so I'm not going to plug any specific dates. And instead, I'll say go to dannygiles.com slash dannygiles on all social media because uh, that is where I post stuff. And uh, also, as I say on every podcast that I do, find your local comedy club. Look up their next calendar month. Watch the clips of the next four headliners. Pick the one you like the most and just go and see them. You will love live stand-up so much if you just go. Go and see live stand-up. Amen. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me on having you on. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>